always a couple stragglers. Morning, everybody. I want everybody to take notice as John Nicholas is teaching today. Looks very nice. He got that power tie on, his hair's cut. He's looking good today. So take notice to that. Uh, today our reading is in Malachi 1, verses 6 through 11. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? You are are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you, you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, it is not evil. And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer to you, why not offer to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your heart, on your on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not usefully kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. In every place, incense is going to be offered to my name. And a grain offering that is pure, pure for my name, will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. By way of warning, when we speak about prophetic texts, there's no way to get around the fact that we will be at various parts of the scripture. Uh, Any little study of the prophetic text will take you into numerous books, uh, in fact, countless books that you can go into that we will not have time or have limited the amount of text that we have here to talk about this specific area in Malachi. But before we get started, uh, Malachi is broken into what are referred to as six disputations. Uh, John Weathersby handled the first one last week. Uh, it's very short in the, in the first five verses. Uh, this will be the second disputation that I'm into, which will run from about verse 6 the whole way down to about verse 9. So uh, it will not be finished until John gets into it. Uh, Later on, but these disputations, this prophetic word that has come to the oracle Malachi from the Lord consists of an assertion from God, uh, 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 condemning them for something that is coming there. It will then follow the pathway of they will make a counter argument. There will be an imaginary counter argument from. Uh, from the Israel and the priests in this case, there'll be a counter argument, and then there'll be that judgment that comes from God. Those are just those, those are just vague terms to kind of vector us in on that. You can find the when we talk about the assertion, which will be in the first uh, verse six, you'll then find the counter argument starts with a but how, or but when, or but where, something like that is what we're going to see. That that argument that comes from the side of Israel and the priests in this case. So we are going to look for those. Those are the markers. Those are the guideposts uh, that guide us through this section of Scripture that, that will guide us through the entire book of Malachi, this judgment that is coming on to them that is happening there. What we will find in this, uh, in this particular section, and the title was Acceptance or Rejection, is what we find is that the actions of the priests in this case reflect to what they truly believe. That's the same for us. We can say all sorts of things, but it's our actions that will show us what we truly believe. We can say, for example, that we will follow the law, that we are law-abiding citizens, but if you're going 65 in a 45, then maybe that isn't true. Your actions reflect what you feel about that law when you do it. And the same goes here. 
And when they're on this trajectory that they're on, of whether they're doing something that's acceptable or whether it's guilty of rejection, we need to see what that is. Because it is the gracious God that has come and given this prophecy as warning to them. So our time period is kind of weird. What we have here, we would say that Malachi, we'd only know, know much more about him other than here. It's the book of Malachi. He was the oracle that received this in and gave these words, uh, gave these words out. But background-wise, we know that this is sometime during the time frame that Ezra and Nehemiah existed. It is after the temple has been rebuilt. This is the second temple. The temple was rebuilt in 1515 BC. This will be the temple that exists until it is destroyed in 70 AD. Now, it will be expanded by the by Herod himself. But this is the same temple. It, it comes after the Babylon exile. That's where we locate ourselves. So, And we know by the words that are in this book that the temple sacrifices have been going on for a while. They haven't just started. They've, they've, they've come back. We should probably... And so we're going to say that the time frame is probably 450 to 460, or excuse me, BC is opposite. 460 to 450 BC is when this, this is written. When Malachi has received these words of the Lord. I'm going to touch on this one more time then when we get later on, we get further in the passage. We should also recognize that the Ark of the Covenant is no longer existent. It has been lost at some time during, right before or during uh, when Babylon took over. So the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark that sat in the Holy of Holies, the Ark where they would sprinkle the blood upon the horns in there, are, is no longer in existence. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go further on. But put our time frame at 450 B.C. Verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of the heavenly armies. Says the Lord who is the creator of all. Where is my respect? If you give respect to fathers who have been created by me and masters who have been created by me, and I am apparently not receiving any, why is that so? What has happened that has changed this relationship? Has anything come that has changed the way you're supposed to react towards me? Oh, priests, those Levitical priests. Those ones who are the mediators between the nation of Israel and God. The ones who takes the, take the sacrifices, the temporary sacrifices for the sins of the nation and present them before the Lord. Somehow there is a lack of respect that is coming. It is obvious that you respect fathers and, sl and, master and slaves respect their masters. Even if they don't like those people, they respect them. But in this case, something has happened that is disrespecting the Lord, the Creator, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of all that there is. They are disrespecting God. He is calling them out in this assertion to them, this condemnation to them, telling them that you are doing something that is entirely wrong. If we are to turn to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, one of many places that we can go to see this, this is just one, Exodus 20, verse 12, what does it say? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. God has says this is the appropriate action towards the Father, which in turn is even more the appropriate action towards the Creator Himself. You are to have no other gods before Me. You should respect everything that I have done because I have created you, you have not created Me. We see the allusion to the issue in Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 16 through 17. 
or says these words as they were as they were coming before the Lord and confessing their sins, it says, but they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. Imagine that. That you know what the Lord has done for your nation. How the Lord in times past has taken you out of slavery. How the Lord, due to your rejection of Him, has allowed you to go back into slavery and has again taken you out of slavery and has reestablished the temple, yet your actions are disrespecting Him. Their actions are speaking to what they truly believe, what they truly think about the Lord. Of how they truly feel about His commandments and His ordinances. As we continue in verse 17, it says there, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Think about that when they spoke about that so long ago when they were were taken out of slavery, they immediately wanted to go back. And here we have similar actions by them, not respecting what the Lord has done. But it says there, but you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. That's that Hebrew word has said. The loving kindness of the Lord, not emotive, but actionable, demonstrable, viewable from their perspective. And you did not forsake them, and nor does the Lord forsake them in this case. The Lord has chosen to bring this prophecy about so that they would be convicted about what they are doing. So that they would know where they stand, either accepted or rejected before the Lord for what they are doing, for their actions. You see, their actions will have consequences too. Either good or bad. The actions that they take demonstrate what they believe. Just like our example of driving. We can say we love the law. We can say that we are law-abiding citizens, but apparently not if we're willingly breaking that. We don't think much of that law that was given. They have been given the ordinances here too, it says. He says, the Lord of hosts says this to you, O priests who despise my name. Can you imagine being accused by the Lord, the creator of all, the one who has the power of life and death in his hands, the ability to destroy not only the body, but the soul itself, to being condemned by the Lord saying, you despise me. Something that you're doing is demonstrating how you despise me, how you disrespect me, how you give honor to those who are created beings and will not give it to the Creator. That allusion to the issues that we spoke of, how they disrespect the Lord and how are they doing it. You see, their counter-argument is, but, but how? How have we despised your name? We don't see it. We can't see how we've acted in this manner. We don't understand what you're saying. It isn't obvious to us. This is almost like a child denying, and we see a child denying that they broke the glass when they're standing right next to the broken glass and the milk spilled on the floor. It wasn't me. How could I didn't do that? How could we despise you, Lord? And the prophecy goes right into it. It says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. You are bringing food to my altar that is not worthy of me. You're giving things to me out of the ordinances that I gave you, clear instruction that I've given you, the manner in which you're supposed to do this. You're giving things that shouldn't be upon that altar. That shouldn't be given to me. That shouldn't be ascribed to me. That don't demonstrate anything about who I am. The manner in which they are treating the ordinance of God demonstrates what they truly believe about God. They are violating the Levitical code. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3.
Then we'll go to one more place in Leviticus, and it says there, look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3. If, it, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it, a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of the meeting, and that, that he may be accepted before the Lord. Well, apparently they're violating this right out of the gate. That they are to present a male without defect. But if we were to go no further, we would see that it obviously isn't without defect because it's already defiled before it gets there. It's already wrong before it gets there. Notice how it says at the very very end of that, it says that he may be accepted before the Lord. Which would mean if you don't bring it in such a manner, you will be rejected by the Lord. We could take this away from us. We'll touch on it later on. Not all worship is acceptable before the Lord. Just because you think it's worship doesn't mean it falls under the prescribed worship of, the God, of God. So put that in the back of your head while we're talking about this. Now turn to uh, Leviticus 22, uh, verse 18. And I'll just... We probably won't read the whole thing, but we'll look at parts of it. It says, it says, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, to all the sons of Israel, and say to them, Any man of the house of Israel or the aliens in Israel who presents his offering, whether it is any of their, their votive or any of their freewill offerings, which they present to the Lord for a burnt offering, for you to accept it, for it to be accepted, it must be a male without defect from the cattle, the sheep, or the goats. Whatever has a defect, you shall not offer it, for it will not be accepted for you. Again, if it doesn't fall under this prescription, it's not accepted and is rejected, and therefore you are rejected before the Lord. We know from reading the, uh, from the writings that, that when they would go in before the Lord and offer the, the, uh, offer the, uh, offer the offering before the Lord, offer the blood from the, before the Lord, that there is that idea that they would have a rope tied around them. That they would sprinkle the blood on, on, the, on, on the Ark of the Covenant. And if it was accepted by the Lord, then they would return from in the Holy of Holies. If it was rejected by the Lord, they would probably die. But hold this in the back, the Ark of the Covenant is no longer there. The Ark of the Covenant has been lost. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So this is what it looks like. Deuteronomy 15, 19 through 21 will tell us a similar thing, but we'll look at it just so you can, you can have place markers in your own, in your own scripture. And we could talk at some time, I've done this before, when we talk about how light, how Christ himself fulfills these things. These firstborn without defect, so forth and so on. But Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 19 through 21, it says this, You shall consecrate to the Lord your God all the firstborn males that are born of your herd and of your flock. And you shall not work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You and your household shall eat it every year before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses. But if, you, but if it has any defects such as lameness or blindness, or any serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. The Creator Himself is asking for the best of His creation to be presented before Him. That is how holy God is. For a temporary time period, for a moment that a person can offer this of this seemingly perfect animal, that they can be in the presence of the Lord for a certain period of time. It is the only thing acceptable before the Lord. The only thing that He will accept from them is the firstborn without defect. It can't have a club foot. It can't be lame. It can't have scars. It can't be sheared. It can't be worked. It has to be without blemish. And he's saying right here that you come before my altar and you have not only presented a defiled, a defiled sacrifice, but you have defiled my altar because of your actions. And your actions of defilement Show exactly what you feel about me as your Lord and Creator. And you are in danger because of that. I am being gracious in giving you this prophecy so that your 
the, the problems that you have are being pointed out to you. Now, the flip side of that is they can't say they weren't warned again about what would happen. These priests would have known those passages out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It isn't new to them. I would argue that they're serving the Lord out of duty rather than as the Lord as their Redeemer, as their life giver. If we look at Psalm 100 in the very beginning of Psalm 100, uh, I was struck by this this week, uh, just this particular psalms, uh, psalm, uh, just how it says, and, and I was struck by it because this gives an idea of the service to the Lord that these priests aren't doing. If we see right in the beginning of Psalm 100, it says this, Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. They in turn are serving the Lord in the manner that they want to serve the Lord. Not in the manner that is prescribed by God. We should, we should certainly serve the Lord with 100% knowing that the Lord has created us, not the other way around. The Lord has not been fashioned by our hands out of wood and stone. The Lord Himself has fashioned us out of the dust. And He has said, you will give the firstborn, not of your creation, but it's my creation. And if I say, give me the firstborn without defect, then that is what you're to give me. That is the acceptable worship of me. And you should know this. And they respond back in Malachi verse 7 again, and it says again how they counter-argue. It says, how have we defiled you? We don't see it. We don't see the spilled milk on the floor. It wasn't us. How have we defiled you? I, yeah, I see the radar gun that says I was going 75 and a 45, but, but that wasn't me. That was somebody else. How have we defiled you? And that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Think about the Lord saying those words to somebody. Despised. We just read there. It says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? I say I love the Lord. I'm the priest. I'm dressed in my priestly robes. They bring the, the you know, there's multiple layers of this. It means that somebody has brought the lame or the blind to the priest to sacrifice and the priest himself has said, that's okay. That'll work. We can do this. So not only are the priests despising the Lord, but they're teaching others to despise the Lord too. Their actions are telling others what they believe about the God, about the God of creation. How they treat the God of creation is telling others that it's okay for them to do the same thing. If we take a laissez-faire attitude towards worship itself, it says to others, we can do that. If we can sing any song in worship that just has the name God in it and say that it's worship, regardless of how heretical it is, we're telling others that it's okay too. If our worship team doesn't look at the words and the lyrics and say, yeah, these are God-honoring, these show our sovereign God and we just sing whatever, that's showing what we truly think about God too. Where is the Lord? Will He do anything? Will He judge us? You know, this is the problem. What these priests are doing is the same thing. That club-footed sheep that they're bringing up, or that blind sheep that they're bringing up, they're saying, that's okay. Where's the Lord? He doesn't care. But that's not what God said. He never took away that ordinance for them. He said it needs to be the firstborn. It needs to be without defect. It can't be lame or, uh, lame or blind or with any major defect like that, or any defect at all. It has to be the best of your flock. And they say, this is okay. So now you have a whole nation that treats God as if He doesn't care or if He doesn't even exist. 
It's okay because we call it sacrifice. But see, they're in danger of being rejected because of their actions. And the gracious Lord has given this prophecy to them to call them out, to warn them of the pathway that they're on. Because this sacrifice that they're supposed to give wasn't ordained by God Himself, it is vitally important for them and for God for them to do this thing. They can't just do whatever they want. They are to follow the ordinances given by God. Now, back to our problem of the ark. You see, the holy of holies that they would go in behind, there is no ark that's sitting there. There's no ark of the covenant that has the the budded staff of Aaron. It doesn't have the jar of manna. It doesn't have both copies of the Ten Commandments, both God's copy and ours that are in it. It's no longer there. There's no longer this box that is covered in gold that has the cherubim sitting on top that the priests themselves can only carry on poles. It's not sitting there. They would be walking into an empty room with the offering. Now hear me. Just because the ark isn't there doesn't abrogate the sacrifice that they're supposed to give. God never took that away. He won't take that away until Jesus Himself comes. I know that John Weathers is going to shake his head, but we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 43. Alright? The other problem is this. Ezekiel chapter 43 as you turn there. Because the ark isn't there, God's glory does not manifest itself there. So before, when they would go in and they would sprinkle the blood in the altar, God's glory could manifest Himself there. But God's glory has gone. Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 1-5 through tell us that the glory of the Lord has gone. It says there through the prophet Ezekiel, then He led me to the gate. The gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with His glory. And it was like the appearance of the visions which I saw, like the visions which I saw when He came to destroy the city, and the visions which were like the visions which I saw by the river Chabar. And I fell on my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate, facing towards the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court of the Lord and filled the house. When he has this vision of the Lord's glory, right? When he has that vision of the Lord's glory, he will continue on there and it will leave. And it will not return again for 600 years. And when does the glory of the Lord return to the temple? When Christ cleanses it. When Jesus comes back into the temple. So the Lord's glory is gone. There is no ark. So they're walking into an empty room with a bowl of blood. I could forgive them for a period of time thinking to myself, well, this just seems, you know, what are we doing? I don't see that representation of the Lord in front of me. I don't see the horns. Of the, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see the cherubim on the top. I don't see the blood-stained floor like it would be underneath the ark. And maybe we could kind of give them a pass for just going through the motions. But God doesn't give them a pass. He never took it away from them. He never took that sacrifice away. What they would do with that blood when they walked into that empty room is they would put the blood, pour the blood, sprinkle the blood on the foundation stone where the ark would sit. That's what they did. That's what they were called to do. That was the action that they were called in to do. You see, sometimes we have that same sort of effect, right? That same sort of thing happens to us. We, we approach Sunday worship like it's just another day. We approach Sunday worship without recognizing the Creator who gave us life. 
the Creator who gave us salvation through Jesus, our Lord. We go through the motions sometimes. We say, ah, it's okay. I don't need to crack open my Bible when they're reading it up here. I don't need to sing the worship songs because it's all about me. It becomes about the person, not about God. And for them, it's become about them and their desires, and not about God Himself. So when they bring those lame and blind animals into for sacrifice, not only they're despising that table, but they're teaching the whole nation to despise the table of the Lord. They're teaching the whole na- nation that, eh, it's whatever, whatever you want to bring, just bring it on in. Bring in the old sheep. Bring in the old goat. Bring in the old blind ones, the one missing the horn. It's okay. You can do that. Even though God has said clearly it's to be rejected by the priests, the ones who are representative of the nation before God are accepting these despised offerings. Is it not evil? Is it not evil? Is it not evil? I can't help but think about Aaron's sons. Leviticus 10. What happens? They offer strange fire before the Lord. And they are consumed by fire right there. They are burned up, except for their clothes. They are completely destroyed. Aaron's told, don't even shed a tear over this. They knew what the rules were, and they chose to do it their own way. And then I can't help but think about 1 Samuel, the sons of Eli. Turn with me there, 1 Samuel chapter 2. The sons of Eli who were priests. Think about this. We've danced around this subject many times over the past number of weeks, both John and I. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, and they did not know the Lord. In the custom of the priests with the people, when any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with the meat was when while the meat was boiling with a two-pronged two fork in his hand, a three-pronged fork in his hand. Then he would thrust it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. And thus they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. And also before they burned the fat, the priest's servants would come up and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest meat for the roasting as he will not take the boiled meat from your from you only raw. And if the man said to him, they must surely burn the fat first, then take as much as you can, then they would say, no, but you shall give it to me now, and and if not, I will take it by force. And thus the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for the men despised the offering of the Lord. And what happens to them? They lose the ark to the Philistines, and they are killed in battle. And then we have one of them who has a son who's whose wife gives birth and that gets the name Ichabod. The glory of the Lord has left because of this defiled offering, when they defile the offering. And here we have priests in Malachi doing the same thing, defiling the offering before the Lord. How can we be accepted before the Lord if we're willingly giving our second, third, fourth fruits? <clears throat> How can we possibly be seen as accepted before the Lord. The one who has brought us back out of slavery, who has allowed the temple to be rebuilt, how can we possibly be seen as right before the Lord? They have so many examples throughout the history of Israel not to do this, yet they do it. And many of us do the same thing. Many of us through our actions will treat the table of the Lord when we come to communion the same way. We will come with hardened hearts. We will come forgiven and not offer forgiveness to anybody else. We will come with hardened hearts to the Lord's table and not think anything of it. The Lord will say in verse 9, or excuse me, let me finish out verse 8. He says, Why not offer it to your he says, Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? 
Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? When they bring the lame and blind, they wouldn't give it to their own human leaders. Why do they give it to the Lord? Why do we give the best to our human friends during the week and give our second, third, and fourth offerings to the Lord Himself? Why do we do that? Is it because we don't see the ark in front of us? Is it because we, when we walk in, it's an empty room that we don't have any object to, to look at? The Bible tells us that we're supposed to do these things. We're supposed to be, be repentant, which is what he's going to tell these, these priests right now. He says in verse 9, he says, but will you not entreat God's favor? Will you not beg God for forgiveness? Will you not turn back to God? Will you not repent of the, of the behavior that you're doing? Will you not turn away from the false offering and come back to first fruit offerings? To defectless offerings? To pristine offerings to the Lord because that's what He deserves. Daniel 9.13 would tell us to turn away from our iniquity. To turn away from this poor behavior. To turn back to God. And guess what? God will accept them. God is a gracious and a merciful God whose loving kindness is forever, who will continue to show it upon them if they would just turn back to Him. If they would turn away from the hardness of their hearts towards Him. Their disobedience, their action, reflects what they believe. This disobedience shows what they believe about God. Psalm 73.15 Psalm 73 is long. We're not going to read it. But Psalm 73.15 is a particularly good phrase. Think, think that, the, that the priest in 73 is looking out upon the city of Jerusalem. Perhaps standing at the very top of the temple. Looking out upon the city. And he, what does he see? He sees sinful people prospering. Wicked people prospering. Murders prospering. They treat it as God doesn't even exist. Now I say this because this is, this is a priestly function that we see in 73, in Psalm 73. Priestly in its actions. And I want you to relate it to the priests in this. Remember, these priests are accepting here in Malachi, they're accepting poor offerings, defected offerings, lame offerings, blind offerings, and in turn they're teaching people that it's okay to give this to the Lord. Our writer in Psalm 73 and 73.15 says this, Instead, because he takes his role seriously, takes his role as a representative of God seriously, it says in 15, if I had said what I believed about what I saw going on, if I had said to the people about my doubts that I have in my humanness and my frailty, if I said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed a generation of your children. That is what these priests are doing here in Malachi. They are betraying generations of Israelites by accepting blind and lame sacrifices. They are teaching falsehoods about God. They are being false teachers by what they are doing. Their actions are demonstrable because God is pointing it out to them. And their, the demonstration of their actions is teaching a whole generation of people what they can and can't do. And in this case, they're saying, the Lord will accept anything you bring forward. Drag that lame goat up here, that'll be fine. You see, there's no ark in here. We're just going to sprinkle the blood on the floor anyhow. He doesn't care. But God does care because He ordained it. He said, you must do this thing. Because God has said it, it is important to do. It is vitally important that they do this. As the covenant people of Israel. Verse 10 of Malachi. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. If one of you who knows what the truth is would just knock this off, just reject all these offerings, it is better to give nothing than to give a defiled offering to the Lord. If you can't give the best, don't give anything, is what they're saying. 
Because to give the defiled is to insult God. That's the problem. The fact that they are accepting these things, they're demonstrating that they don't really believe in God's ordinances. They don't really believe that God cares, even though He has ordained this thing. And those actions are reflecting reflecting their beliefs. They are in danger of being rejected because of what they are doing. Verse 10, or excuse me, verse, uh, verse 11, I apologize. Finishes this section of the scripture. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. I am. That is God. I am. There is none before me. I am. The representation in the burning bush. I am. The one who sent the plagues. I am. The one who split the sea. I am him. The one who consumed Aaron's sons. I am. The one who split the earth open and consumed hundreds of people at times. I am. The one who can give dead dead bones to life. I am. My name is great and will be great under amongst all the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered in my name. Just like the prayers of Cornelius in Acts going up before the Lord as a pleasing aroma towards Him. That there will be believers in every nation. This is looking forward eschatologically. Looking forward in time. Another piece of prophetic literature looking forward to a time when this will happen. To the millennial rule. It says, incense going, uh, being offered in my name, a grain offering that is pure, the first fruits of the grain offering, the without defect grain offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, the, ne- the Lord of the heavenly armies. The Lord of the universe says this thing to them. We know from Isaiah 59, 19, that the Lord's name is to be feared. And by their actions, they're showing they don't fear the Lord's name at all. I am who with my voice created everything that you've seen. I am who took dust and created every person that's here. What do we talk about? The, I think we talked in the study group the other night. If there's 8 billion people on this planet, that means arguably there's 80 billion fingertips that have all been carved by God. My name, is, my name won't be great. My name is great. The fact that you don't recognize it is your problem. And your problem is, is that you're going to be rejected because you don't recognize how great I am. The God who, who says in Isaiah 40, right, who, who holds nations as dust in his finger, in, in the palm of his hand. This warning that we have here to them that, that they must change their ways. That, the, that, that there is an actionable offense that is occurring. That the fact that they have acted like this has reflected what they believe. They need to turn away and repent and believe and know who God is. Because their actions are reflecting, are reflecting their beliefs. And our actions reflect our beliefs too. And we could be in danger of acceptance or rejection. You see, it is... There's that meme I sent around this week. The picture of a, of a, uh, of a skeleton and a man giving mouth to mouth to the skeleton that says, just say the Lord's prayer and you'll be saved. That isn't the way it works. It is only God who can give life to dead man's bones. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're a dead man. You're just walking around and don't know it. When God has given life to us, when he has, when he has plowed that heart of ours so it can accept the Holy Spirit so that we can be changed and alive, we then have right and wrong responses to God. I could come here on Sundays and I could sing all the worship songs and I could take communion and not have a changed heart. And that worship is not accepted by God. But in my frailty, if my heart has been changed, if I know the Lord, if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, even just a little bit, and I take that, I, I will take that cup and that, and that bread, if I take it even in my fallacy, even in my all the sins that I have that I haven't even addressed yet, 
I am still accepted before God because He has changed me. True worship comes from a changed heart. True worship comes from knowing that God that you've repented and believed in. Worship from that repentant nature is accepted by God. Doesn't have to be perfect because it's the Holy Spirit that makes it perfect for us. The Holy Spirit works within us to take our prayers and make them as a holy and pleasing offering before the Lord. The Holy Spirit working within us takes our songs of worship and makes them holy and pleasing before God. When we know that Lord and Savior, man-centered on the other hand is not acceptable by God. One type of worship is the unblemished firstborn. The other type is the lame and the blind. One is the pleasing aroma before God. The other is the foul stench that goes before him and causes him to turn away. The Levitical priesthood has been abrogated. It's gone, in a sense. It's been completed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is that high priest, that one that entered behind the veil, the one that went into the true temple that sits in the heavenly realms. He didn't go into the to the shadow of the temple that sat here on earth, but he went into the, the true temple that sits in heaven. And when he does this in Romans 5.8, this is where we get our basis of true worship. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, we didn't have to do anything, but he was that perfect offering that came for us. And when we know that, it leads to correct worship to rightful worship before God. It leads to, it reflects what we believe in our lives. To repent and know that the Lord is gracious. That the altar here is gone. That now our lives are to be that living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1 and 2. That our lives are to reflect knowing that. But the danger is this, to claim that we know the Lord, live a week where we consider the Lord little, if at all, to go about our way and doing whatever we want to do, and then come to Sunday and think that our worship is accepted, you're on the same ground that the priests were on. You're offering despised and lame things on the altar of the Lord. If you think that just a Sunday worship will do it. Our lives are to be the encompassment or to be the totality of an, a life of worshiping God. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect because remember, it is the Holy Spirit within us that makes it perfect before God. It's as we grow and mature in knowing our Lord and Savior. Is that if we think the thought about the Lord twice this week, we think about Him four times next week. As we continue to grow in knowing our Lord and Savior, that's the thing but to consume ourselves with frivolous, temporary things during the week, and then to come before the Lord and claim that you are our Lord and Savior, you're on dangerous ground, my friend. You're on very, very dangerous ground. To sing worship songs and then to attend the table of the Lord but being consumed with frivolous things is a dangerous place. It's like showing up with the blind and the lame and saying the Lord will accept this because look, I came through the doors. I came here. Look at what I gave up today. I could have been watching the news or sleeping. Look, Lord, look at me. That isn't the way it works. Our Lord is so gracious that He says one day a week, you should come and worship Him. That's how gracious He is. That's what He asks of us. And then our lives should be that living sacrifice that we should be contemplating Him and, and through everything that we do. And that our actions during the week should demonstrate what we believe not only just around us, but into the lives around and all over us. Because our actions reflect what we believe. And inadvertently, if we don't consider these things, we can end up heaping co burning coals upon, on top of our own heads. If we think differently. We should live a repentant life. Look at Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9. And think about what the Lord said here. Out of Isaiah, he's speaking... This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching 
as doctrines the precepts of men. They are far from Him. Far from the Lord. With communion, as we come to the end of this message, we should consider Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It is important till the time that we will sing the we will sing some worship song till we come to communion to contemplate before the Lord, ask for forgiveness for the Lord, repent to the Lord. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 14, he says these words: Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, you judge what I say. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything. Or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? We are not stronger than He, are we? Words of warning as we come into communion that to set our hearts right, to offer forgiveness in our hearts, to ask the Lord to cleanse our hearts, to ask, our, to ask our Lord to help us, to grow us in what we do. But consider these words, and as we confess our sins before the Lord with a contrite heart, we know that the Lord is merciful and that His loving kindness is forever to, to us. Let's pray. God, we come to You. Uh, I Hopefully, we just, just keep bending our hearts, keep breaking our hearts, keep in fleshing our hearts to keep the, any hardness from setting in, keep us turning towards You, Lord, to allow us to prostrate ourselves before You, Lord, and to, to know that, that, we, that when we ask for forgiveness that it has already been granted to us as Christ followers, but just to let us know, to, to let us know our Lord deep in our hearts to bend our wills and our minds to the Holy Spirit so that our lives would